Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements this week, so let's jump in and see what's been going on. First up, the creator of the 32X Doom remake called Doom Resurrection has just posted a new update, as well as a whole guide talking about how they were able to create a game that worked on both of the SH2 processors, and basically created a document that gives you a better idea of how you might want to program for the 32X if you want to create your own homebrew, or if you're just a fellow nerd that wants to know a little bit more about how it works. So the updates that Vic posted to the uh, to the game itself was a new exclusive port of the original map, added the skin face intermission background from the original game, and added a CD32X plus volume slider to the audio menu. So good updates, um, but you know not not as crazy as some of the other updates Vix posted. However, I think the big news here is the guide that's posted that really gives you a, a good sense of exactly what it is that's going on with this and why it works so much better than the original. So check that up, uh, check that out over on GitHub if you're interested. Um, maybe someday I'll be able to get Vic on the podcast to talk about this too, but we also have guests coming up fairly shortly that also want to talk about 32X stuff. So we'll have a, a pretty cool cast of characters coming up soon. But thanks Vic as always, and hopefully we can get you on here to talk a little bit more about this. If you have a JVC D-Series consumer CRT, you absolutely have to watch this video from Steve from Retrotech. Or if you're just a CRT nerd or fellow nerd, you probably would be interested anyway. However, Steve has found one of the options in a service menu that corrects the overpush of red. And one of the things that was common for TVs, I think even today, is that different manufacturers tuned their output to be a little bit different. I think Sony has notoriously always pushed a little bit hard on the blue side, and I guess for these TVs, JVC pushed a little bit on the red side. And if your eyes tend to favor one or the other, that's a good thing, I I guess, but it's certainly not an accurate thing, as it changes the colors very slightly to the point where you can't really compensate in the main menus. You sort of kind of can, but you need to get into the service menus, and there is one setting here that really fixes it incredibly easy. So the other point I want to make is that if you're somebody that gets nervous poking around in service menus, as I am, this is not one to worry about. This is one of those very cool scenarios where you go in, you write down the original setting, you set it, you know, you turn it down, and then you see what happens. 
If you don't like it, you go in and put it right back the way it was. It's not like messing around with seven or eight different settings where one also affects the other, and then you, you, know, you could screw up the whole calibration. This is luckily one of the very easy ones. You just have to be patient to get to it, and you should be able to tweak it. So check out Steve's video. The only other thing to add is not all JVC D-Series have the same tubes or boards inside, so you might not find this exact feature in your service menu. But it's worth trying because the worst thing that could happen is you spend a minute or two doing it, you go through and you don't find it or you don't like the result and you put it back, whatever. But this is one of those, you know, CRT hacks that I would recommend that anybody with this model try. And once again, if you don't even own these, but you're still interested, I would just kind of give this one a watch just to get a better sense of what goes on, you know, in the background in these service menus, just because I think it's kind of neat. So thanks, Steve, for making this. A new retro computer focused project was just announced that puts a Raspberry Pi Pico on an ISA card in order to emulate the Gravis ultrasound audio cards from back in the day. So this project is one of the many modern retro things that allow you to get at least aiming for equal performance as the original, but without trying to find an older sound card, you know, recap it, repair it, and go through all of that trouble. So this project is not open for sale yet, but you might want to follow the creator on GitHub or Twitter just to kind of see. And it essentially tries to go the distance and have features for MIDI out, as well as IRQ choices, proper driving of the signals, and basically try to make everything equal to or better than the original Gravis ultrasound cards. And I think stuff like this is really cool because it's a, you know, anytime you have new products to support old stuff, then it kind of breathes new life into them and makes sure that they could last even longer. Also, because it's a Raspberry Pi Pico, it should be user updatable via just a USB port, uh, USB micro cable, so it should be pretty easy. So I, we will uh, update everybody when these are actually released for sale, but we thought we'd let everybody know just because this might be something that retro computer users could benefit from. So keep an eye on the project, and hopefully this would be up for sale for us to purchase pretty soon. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, and this week I want to go over again on how to order a stencil. So first, why would you want a stencil? Well, if you have a PCB with a lot of surface mount components on it, manually soldering each component is a giant pain and takes a lot of time. So if you have a reflow oven or if you're really good with a hot air rework station, you could use a stencil to drag solder paste across just the SMD pads, use tweezers to place your components individually, and then just use heat to stick them to the board. Now, how to do that would require an entirely separate video, but if you know that that's something you want to do and if that would make your life easier, all you have to do is drag your Gerber file the same exact way you normally would into JLC PCB's website, and then select all of your options and scroll down to the bottom to select a stencil. Then if you want, you could also say if you want just the top or bottom of the PCB, or if you want one stencil for each, which of course would add a little cost because it's making two different stencils, but that's all you have to do. Also, if you're like me and you've placed a PCB order, but then forgot to make a stencil with that, you could also just have only a stencil made for you. The options are all the same as if you had added it along with the PCB. You just have to select top, bottom, or both, or one or two stencils. Also, while this does affect shipping, JLC PCB offers many different shipping options, ranging from incredibly affordable to expensive but 
arrives very quickly. So absolutely, whatever shipping options for your budget, wherever it is that you're located. I'm showing options for both US and Canada here, and shipping's never going to be a problem with JLC PCB. So that's it for this time, but check out my other JLC PCB segments and previous weekly roundups for more info on how to order PCBs, how to order PCB assembly, and more info on the company. A video was recently posted of Artemio's awesome panel at Retro World Expo talking about the 240p test suite and MD4EA. And this is one of these things where even if you already use the 240p test suite, and even if you're more of a power user like we are, I still thought it was a really awesome talk uh, the questions afterwards are always great for these. And it's something that if you use it and you want to know more about it, I would strongly recommend listening to Artemio chat about it because it gives a lot of perspective into things as to how it started, why it started, and all of that. So uh, if you're interested, it's available right here to watch. And thanks to Artemio for doing these. And of course, to Lance and Chris from Retro World Expo for allowing us to come and do all of this awesome stuff. And uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it as much as we did. Chris from Displaced Gamers just posted another awesome video about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES, and the focus of this one was how the jump code works. So if you press the A button and hold it, you jump the highest. If you tap it, you jump the shortest. But it gets a lot more interesting than that, even for people who aren't really into uh, coding or anybody who, like me, can't quite understand uh, some of the in-depth stuff. But this one was really fascinating, and it painted a picture that maybe, just maybe, the developers of this game started testing it and developing it, aiming for 60 frames per second but maybe they just got so much slowdown that they dropped it to 30 frames per second, but forgot to compensate for a lot of the weirdness that goes along with it. And while I absolutely hate spoilers, that was a tiny bit of a spoiler, uh, but hopefully that's enough to entice you to watch the video if you haven't already, because this was a pretty fascinating one. I loved the other Turtles one too, uh, and especially if you've ever played this game, this is one that you're absolutely going to want to watch and just kind of sink into. So as always, thanks to Chris from Displaced Gamers for making these videos and, and putting the posts up here uh, and wording them in a way that I could actually understand a good way to describe them to people, but this one I got because this one I, I really sunk into because I thought it was really cool. And maybe my guess is wrong, but it's still a pretty cool perspective and something to think about while you're watching the video. Another blue retro kit was just announced, this time for the front-loading NES. And much like the one that Greg from Laser Bear opened pre-orders on a couple weeks ago, this one is no cut, no solder, and will work with any front-loading NES from any region, and also includes automatic wired controller detection. So just like the GameCube one, if nothing's plugged in, it just looks like your NES has no controllers plugged in and you can sync your Bluetooth controllers, some of which can go as low as six milliseconds of latency total, which is pretty good, even for uh, even for retro. That's something that many of us, you know, I don't think I would ever detect half a frame of latency, especially if you're playing on a CRT. I don't think that would be possible for almost everybody. So as long as you use a good low latency Bluetooth controller, this would be cool. However, if you want to go through your casual gaming and have fun with a wireless, but then you just plug in your wired, it switches over to that, back to zero latency, and then you could kind of go from there to just play normally. So I love stuff like this. Um, no pre-order listings yet. This is more of a product announcement. 
Uh, and while you know, while we normally like to try to talk about this stuff when pre-orders happen, this was a cool project that I thought people might want to know about. So definitely check out Andrew's post if you want more info. But this would be pretty cool for people that want wireless controller stuff for front loaders. And I'd also like to see where else this could be integrated into and what other interesting ideas people might come up with. A good friend of mine had an idea a couple years ago of taking something like Bluetooth or RF wireless controllers for something like the Twin Famicom that has the slots for controllers to sit in and adding wireless kits into those. So who knows, maybe something like this could be integrated in and that maybe somebody could work on wireless charging for Famicom and Twin Famicoms because you sit those controllers right in. Who knows, maybe something cool could come out of that. But anyway, that was just me kind of pontificating about other nerdiness. If you want more info about this project, check out Andrew's post and we'll let you know when they go up for sale. Developer Grieverheart has just released a Pokemon Mini FPGA core for the Mr. Project. So the Pokemon Mini was something that I didn't even know about until we wrote about it here on Retro RGB, but it was a little handheld console that played different Pokemon games. And it's kind of interesting, and so is the core, because the Pokemon Mini's display is designed to refresh at 75 hertz, which is a lot higher than most Mr. Cores. So this core uses different methods to output video at 60 hertz, and it supposedly looks pretty cool. Much like the Game Boy cores, there's some frame blending effects that make flickering visuals look a little bit more like they would on the original console's LCD. And the zoom setting is really more for analog output because the default settings still fill the HDMI output okay. You do need an SD-RAM module, but any size will work. And there's currently no IR communication support, um, so I guess to, to emulate multiple Pokemon minis. So this is very cool. Uh, I love to see even the weird and obscure stuff moved over to FPGA because it's just one more step towards preserving these things. And I'd also kind of be interested in, in how something like a 75 hertz screen would work with 120 hertz monitors, and especially ones with FreeSync and all of that stuff. Is it possible to run one of these at 75 hertz? Um, you know, are, are there CRTs out there that would do that easily? I definitely remember in the, the VGA CRT era, you could get them running at many different refresh rates. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts about how this might be made to work in different ways, just, uh, just kind of for fun. But anyway, if you're interested, check out Alex's post. And if you want a little more info on the Pokemon Mini, uh, check out the video here um, that's embedded in for a bunch more info. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So while I was at Retro World Expo, I wanted to grab as many people as I could and sit them down and do like a fun, short podcast with them. And unfortunately, I only got to about half of the people that I wanted to talk to, but I was able to still talk to a bunch of really awesome folks. And I wanted to share that with you so that you could kind of feel like you slid up a chair and, you know, and, and kind of hung out with us while we were there. I know it never beats actually being there, but a lot of you couldn't make it or just live very far. So hopefully you would enjoy this as like a fun compilation podcast. This is part one of two. Part one went great. 
the guests in part two were equally as amazing, but the audio was not. So next week, expect a drop in audio as the time goes by. Also, a fun little fact, these I decided to put this out in chronological order just because that's the most fair way to do it. And I, I picked people based on who was walking by me, so there was no favoritism. But it's also going to be fun to see how exhausted I got by the end of the day and how loopy I got by the end of the part two. So... Uh, feel free to tease me and make fun of me for that one. But the guests were all awesome, and hopefully you all enjoy listening. And as always, listen to these however is easiest for you. Audio-only podcast services, uh, on videos, on YouTube, download the MP3, whatever. We don't care. As long as you enjoy the content, it's a total win. So um, thanks to everybody who was a part of this, and hopefully you all enjoy listening. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if anything piques your interest, please watch Lou's full video on this and reference the post too if you'd like. Starting us out, Jimmy Stones used the information learned from working on Missile Command to improve Centipede's trackball support, and updates now available, and he's also revisiting the Sega Gremlin Z80 core. Next, Furtech posted some screenshots on Twitter showing the progress of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle core, and this was pretty cool. Vertech posted that there's now a full title screen being able to boot, and they also posted history of how much work has gone into it so far and what it used to look like when the core was uh, attempted to be booted before this. So I still think we have quite a while before a playable alpha or beta is ready, but awesome the progress is being made. Also, Pierco has moved Cosmic Police Gavilon from simulation over to running on the Mr. FPGA, And there isn't a release yet because there's still a whole bunch more work to be done, but at least it's confirmed now it is running on it, so that's pretty awesome. There's also been some improvements to the Truxton 2 core. It's still considered beta, but better than beta, not an official release, so if you're into that, check it out. Darren O gave some updates to the Akari Warriors 3 core and has some different posts showing decoded sprites and some other updates. Also, the PlayStation Core celebrated one year of development, which was pretty awesome. Uh, Robert has been posting awesome updates ever since it began. I remember talking to him uh, right before he started on this, uh, and it's pretty cool to see because that's an insane amount of work to be done in just one year if you kind of consider everything that, that went into it. Also, development on the Neo Geo Pocket Core just got some help because Hotego hired an engineer to work on the Neo Geo Pocket full-time. The engineer is a college student or recently graduated college student, so now Hotego has two people working on it. And I would like to politely but very positively remind everybody that you made that happen. Everybody that supports uh, on Patreon if they're available to or, or if they're able to, but even more importantly, people spreading the word. Because even if you're not in a position to support, tell your friends who are into this stuff who might be. Because stuff like Patreon support is definitely a quantity game. The more people you have signed up, the more help that could happen. Um, And, you know, it's something I try to get across to people for myself, selfishly. Sorry to make Hotego's awesome update about me here. But it's something that I always try to push. Because while there's still a whole bunch of people that refer to Patreon as a platform for millennials to try to make money off their basket weaving companies. Honestly, many people have said that to me. That's not what it's about for most of us. It's a way to enable development without being tied to a company, without trying to switch your business model to milk the algorithms and to, you know, and to try to make 
uh, try to capitalize on whatever you're making. It allows creators to just do what we all need them to do without the confines of that. So if you're in a position to support, please support your creators. Um, and, you know, Hotego is definitely a great example of this. I hope I hope that I am too. I really try to be, uh, but I, I always try to get better as well. Anyway, moving along. The IRM M72 core has now been officially released, which means you can play games like R-Type, Ninja Spirit, and a bunch of other really awesome ones. Just run your favorite Mr. Updater to do it. Also, the Ypsilon has released a custom database creator. Um, and this is something that I've, I've kind of left it in my inbox to remind me to continue to work on it. But I think this would be really, really cool. So that way you could kind of add a custom database. You could tweak things even more. Um, and I'd love to dig into this. And I'd also love to digging into how to configure a mister for permanent Tate support. So let's say you have an arcade cabinet with a rotated screen in it. You know, how do you set it up so it, it boots directly to only vertically oriented game uh, game list and have the menu rotated so that you could see it? Now, obviously, rotating the menu might require a frame buffer, but it's a menu. Who cares? There could be a thousand frames of lag. If it's just a menu, it doesn't matter. So um, maybe people are already doing this and I just completely forgot. Totally plausible. Or uh, maybe it's something we could all work on together, but it's definitely something I'm interested in. So uh, please remind me in the comments. And if I'm a moron and people are already doing it, feel free to let me know. I deserve it. Uh, also, there's another ca uh, core for a Casio PV1000. Flundango just released that one. Um, there's uh, the Pokemon Mini core we already talked about. Rocky has made their Psychic 5 core available for, to the public. The game was developed by NMK and published by Jalico. Jalico. I still don't know if there's a right answer for that one. Um, and there's also a test core for Snow Brothers 2. So this is similar to the hardware from Truxton 2. So this is another core that's in beta that you could try out if you'd like. Uh, just go directly to the post if you're a supporter of Track 17, copy and paste it. And uh, also there's some other miscellaneous updates for things like the PCXT, Sorcerer Striker, and Kingdom Grand Prix. And it pretty much sums it up. So, as always, thanks so much to Lou for compiling all of this information for us. It would be impossible for me to, or to keep up. So, really appreciate it. Please don't forget to subscribe to his channel. And we'll keep you updated on any more Mr. Awesomeness. I recently did a live stream showing pre-production units of Retro Game Restore's clear Genesis Mega Drive shells. And there's a few points that I'd like to make. I'll skip to the end, and then if you already know the story behind this, you could drop off. But these are pre-production units. So they were dirty, I guess is the best way to describe them. They're not at all what you would get if you ordered them. There were people, I kept repeating it during the stream, but there are still, and I even put it in the notes, but there are still a whole bunch of comments afterwards from people that didn't get it at all. Um, these were sent to me so that I could test them out for fit and function, kind of give my thoughts on it. And while I did have one or two the little comments that I thought might help uh, the rear I.O. port. Otherwise, they're awesome. I thought these were absolutely excellent. Once again, I can't really tell which one I liked better, the completely clear one or the smoke clear, but they, they're just really cool. They're exactly what you would expect from Retro Gamer Store. The only other thing that I was messing with is a way to affix the stickers on the top. And I, I think the easiest way to do it is to get some, some light scotch double-sided tape, not the super sticky one like I had to use here because that's all I had. 
and you use the guide that Retro Gamer Store sells, and then you line that up with a double-sided tape on top of it, and then you pull it back off, and then you use the guide to put it on. Uh, I think that method that I did at the end is going to be the easiest for everybody. But once the production shells arrive, um, I probably won't do another live stream, but I'll, I'll definitely do a social media post and then probably another follow-up on Retro RGB just to show everybody. But overall, I mean, these are just exactly as awesome as I had hoped. Uh, they're really cool, and if you're into this stuff, definitely check it out. Now, if you've already heard of the Retro Gamer Store shells and you understand what they are, you could uh, drop off right now. I have some more rambling after this, but nothing super important. But I do absolutely need to remind people who might not be familiar with these why they're so expensive. These are high-quality molds that get you equal to or better than the original plastic. Better than maybe because the materials won't yellow over time, but equal to in, in the strength and the durability of them. And in order to do that, you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to make these molds, and then there's a minimum order that you have to make. So if we were miraculously able to spread the word about this and sell 10,000 shells, they would plummet in price. But that's not the case. And in fact, these things are having a hard time getting the full pre-orders fulfilled because they are a bit expensive because that's how much it costs to make these things. Now, saying something like they look cool, but that's too much money for me to spend is 100% fair. Saying I don't like them, I like the originals better is also fair. Those are just opinions and I'm totally cool with that. Saying these are a ripoff or overpriced is just flat out wrong. It's inaccurate. That's not an opinion. You're just, you're wrong. And I want to make sure to always get that point out because there's always people that just go in and go, they're how much? That's insane. Why would anybody spend that? It's exactly like saying, wait, how much more is an Acura than a Honda? That's crazy. I wouldn't. It's the same car. It's, it's not. It's not. And if it's important to you, you're willing to spend that extra money. And if it's not, that's totally cool. I just always want to make that distinction. I probably drove everybody nuts who listens to this podcast who totally already gets it. But I just need to get the word out there because there's a massive difference between something that's expensive and something that's overpriced. And I just want to make sure I'm very clear about that. So I'll show more uh, pictures when the full production units come in. But these are awesome. I'm very happy with it. And the only other thing I might add is I like the 16-bit sticker. I, I think it's cool. I think it fits the look of it. But I would love to see someone like Graphics Gear make their own overlays. And that's not an insult to Martin. Uh, you know, I think Martin Martin's job is to make the cases as good as possible. Uh, I just think that having different stickers and overlays to put over it might be a really cool thing for people. Um, so check out Graphics Gear stuff. Uh, I, I should try to leave a link to at least one of their social media accounts in here. Hopefully they'd be willing to make some really nice overlays because I'd love to see different details for different regions. I'd love mine to say high definition graphics just because why not, right? Uh, so if you're into this stuff, check out the, the live stream. If you just wanted a basic overview, I think this five minute blurb probably covers everything that you would need to know about it. And hopefully these will be released to the public soon. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the final production versions. Before I go, I just want to let everybody know that I am still struggling to catch up from all the preparation and the crazy weekend at Retro World Expo. I had such a good time, but that did set me back quite a bit. So if you've messaged me or if you're waiting on me for something, I'm sincerely sorry. I did not mean to blow you off. Please feel free to ping me again if I'm not getting back to you. I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but there's a lot going on. And on top of that, I'm trying to work on another fun video in the background 
kind of a quick review of a product that many of you might be interested in, modern and retro. Modern Vintage Gamers posted a couple of really awesome videos. Um, John from Digital Foundry did a whole thing on The Last of Us Part 1 for PS5. There's a lot of really awesomeness going on, and I'm going to respectfully try to catch up with... um, I'm going to start with the creators that probably need... Uh, a little bit more help with all the love and respect to digital foundry and modern vintage gamer they're doing just fine on their own so we're trying to we're trying to help hype up the people that kind of could use a little bit of um you know a a little bit of signaling just to to show people the products and the stuff that they have out but we're going to try to get back on track and then just get back into the swing of normal posts so um if you think we missed anything politely let us know in the comments and i'll i'll try to to write it up the only other thing to note is that YouTube's still pretty uh, strict with posting links in comments, so posting a description's best. Like, hey, did you see the new Digital Foundry video about The Last of Us Part 1 on PS5? That will go through, but just posting a link to the YouTube video probably won't, so you might want to just keep that in mind. But anyway, as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it's you who's keeping all of this going, the podcast, the website, all of the crazy stuff that goes on behind the scenes, uh, everything is all because of you. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.